If you're interested in sponsoring How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Well, it's that time again. No, it's not time for my yearly bath. It's time for How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osa Foundation. I can't even say foundation because of the response I got to that. The official podcast of the Osa Foundation incorporated yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. Glad you can be with us. This is the second episode of the month of June. The year is 2019. As always, millions of ways to get in touch with us. The website is osafoundation.org where you can submit your uh, stories of sportsmanship. You can contact the show via email. The address is podcast at osafoundation.org. And we're all over social media, facebook.com slash osafoundation, and then Twitter and Instagram, both at osafoundation and hashtag how you play the game. Across the way from me, the man, the myth, the legend, our producer, engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Hello, Sean. Hey, Jack. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm all right. I don't know if I'm a myth. Well. I exist. You know what? After that whole bath thing, I don't know what we're doing right now, but uh, why don't we just jump into it? Not the bath, the the show. Um, I just took a shower, so... Did it take? No, I'm still no. sweating. Okay, well, we'll redo that later. Uh, let's jump into it now. We have a special guest on the line. He returns for his 17,000th uh, appearance on our program. That might be a slight overestimation, but we'll get there. The uh, owner-operator man-myth legend of Close Call Sports. Uh, the podcast is uh, The Plate Meeting, the Umpire Ejection Fantasy League, Fantasy League, and, of course, the fantastic organist for the Anaheim Ducks, Mr. Gil Imber. Gil, welcome. How are you? Hi, Jack. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for being here, especially uh, I know we got you on short notice, but... Uh, we had some things pique our interest recently, and I think that it was important to get you on the show. Why don't we start with um, recently uh, you guys over at uh, the plate meeting, you and T-Mac, put out a, an episode of your podcast. In, uh, in three words or less, can you summarize what happened on that podcast? Sure. Um, let's see. I would say three words or less. It takes me about three minutes to think of three words or less, doesn't it? You're up to like 12 words right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd say, I'd say um, factless umpire bashing. Um, wow. That, I, that, that, yeah, that's I thought you were going to go electronic strike zone, but that works too. No, electronic <laughs> strike zone, that's, that's too simple of concept these days. Yeah. So... Okay, now ten words or less. Can you? Do, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> give us a give us a brief summary of what we were dealing with on this episode. This episode of the plate meeting dealt with the, that electronic strikes and that we're that we're talking about, and really got into the weeds of the history of how technology and a strike zone came to be in baseball. We started with the '90s when and the idea from the umpires themselves of using a simulator similar to how teams take bang practice umpires would do cage work but it would be virtual so they could see 
a hundred pitches on the outside corner if they wanted to work on a slider on the outside or a knuckleball, depending on who's pitching, whatever. They wanted to do some pregame or off, you know, off the field work to figure out how they want to see these pitches so they can train themselves to call it. They'd use this simulator to do that. Sounds great, except that um, the powers that be at baseball, because there was a power struggle, Faye Vincent was out and Bud Selig was in, didn't take to the idea. They rather go with this idea of we can rate and rank umpires using technology. Let's do that. So instead of a training tool, Bud Selig, whose stated objective was to rein in the umpires, said, we're going to rate and rank the umpires, and we're going to put people in charge, Sandy Alderson uh, as such, Ralph Nelson was the other, people who don't have any umpiring experience, but we're going to put them in charge of the umpires and in charge of this program to rate and rank umpires using this technology that we're being sold from a company called Questech. A company that was so well run that its stock went down from a modest value to about a zero value in the span of a few years. A company so well run that it was under federal investigation for fraudulent practices and things of that nature. Well, we've all been there. Yeah. Have we? (laughs) And uh, it, it evolved into... It evolved into PitchFX, which evolved into StatCast. And we currently have a system today that is really not much better than the system from 20 years ago that doesn't work. And it would be really difficult for the average fan to find out that the system doesn't work because anytime that someone tunes into a game on ESPN or Fox – more often than not, they're going to encounter K-Zone or Fox tracks, that visual display of a box on the screen purportedly stating where the pitch has crossed home plate, except that it's not accurate, but that's beside the point. And that's treated as gospel by teams, broadcasters, and the fans, when in actuality MLB itself admits – but not publicly, that its technology is not is not that great. So in discussing all of this, you brought on two guests onto the show. Briefly tell us who those guests were and what their, uh, their claim to fame was. Our first guest was Dylan Yep. He runs the mini site Umpire Auditor whose stated objective is to produce a daily worst call of the day which takes this these computer numbers that we uh, talked about and spits out a daily statistic of what umpire called a strike that missed the zone by the greatest margin per the numbers which may or may not be accurate and the the fantastic thing about Dylan is he knows that the numbers are bad. He knows they're wrong. He admits that they're bad, and he admits that they're wrong. Yet he doesn't care. His stated objective is to get rid of the human umpire and replace him with a computer. Ironically enough, the computer doesn't work. He knows the computer doesn't work, but he still wants to replace the umpire with the computer. We asked him why 
you want to replace an umpire with a computer when you know that the computer is less accurate than the human umpire? And his answer was, well, number one, we can develop the technology to get the computer to be better. Okay, fine. But number two, he feels that uh, having a computer would be more fair than having a human umpire, which, again, is open to interpretation on how you want to adjudicate the game. I don't see how having an inaccurate computer is better than having an umpire with less of a margin of error than the computer, but that's Dylan's prerogative, and that's what his worst call of the day is meant to do. Now, the funny thing about the worst call of the day, and it's not funny as it is emblematic of the greater societal problem when it comes to strike zone evaluation, is that Dylan, for the first at least probably five years of his existence of sight. And when I'm saying that, I mean essentially until May 2019, he failed to account for the fact that the baseball actually has a certain width to it. There's a diameter of a baseball, which is 2.94 inches approximately. And he just didn't think that that mattered. He thought, well, the baseball is a singular data point because that's how the computer spits it out as a, as a singular coordinate. So he said... I'm going to take the singular coordinate and do the numbers based on that. Of course, you have to subtract the, f the radius of a baseball from that in order to find the deviation. Otherwise, you are neglecting the physical property of a ball. But he didn't seem to really much care the fact that, hey, I'm inflating the umpire's uh, incorrectness by about one and a half inches, and I don't care that I'm that I'm making it look like they're worse than they are because at the end I want the computer and I don't care what kind of unethical uh, things that, you know, that's what he's saying, that he doesn't care how unethical he is to accomplish his goal, which was really interesting. Our other guest was Mark T. Williams from Boston University who did a study using solely MLB public-facing statistics to run the numbers and see how umpires are doing. And he found that umpires are about 91% accurate currently on calling balls and strikes. Now, the funny thing about Mark's numbers, and we spoke with him about this, and he very quickly foisted it off on MLB and said, you know what, I'm using MLB's data, and, and I'm assuming that MLB is accurate. I'm assuming they're accurate because if they weren't accurate, why would they be putting the numbers out? And that's a fantastic philosophical question, which we can get into. But Mark very readily stated my study is completely based on MLB's public data, and it assumes that those numbers are accurate. I'm running it as if those are the numbers. And based on those numbers, umpires are 91% accurate. So my, my pushback, and it's a fantastic thing to look at, is to see, okay, publicly, umpires are 91% accurate. Per the public data from MLB itself, umpires are 91%. But go behind the scenes and go to the... Uh, umpire's private data, which would be the umpiring department's zone evaluation system, the only evaluation system in use by baseball to evaluate its umpires. And you'll find that umpires are about 97.5% accurate. So there is a 6%, it's greater than 6%, it's almost 7% discrepancy between MLB's zone evaluation, the private umpiring department figures, and MLB's public-facing baseball savant data. These are two branches of the same company, MLB, spitting out very different numbers. I mean, for 
for a 97.5% ZE score that is average, that's 2.5% away from perfection. And if we're looking at that, and there's a difference between that and 91-ish percent, the difference is a little bit, it's a little bit over 6%. So that's over 200% of a variation. Because again, we're looking at 2.5% away from perfection, yet the split between in the 97 and a half number and the sub 91% number is about you know is is about that 6% figure it's over 6% 2.5 goes into 6. Point, I think it's 6.2%. So 2.5 goes into that over two times that's a really significant difference. And it's really a disservice that we have a we have an entity in MLB that publicly says umpires are 91% accurate and privately says umpires are 97.5% accurate. That's a discrepancy that needs to be accounted for, and in in our culture, we do an absolutely abysmal job at trying to hold anyone to task to try to figure out why that is. That's the equivalent of, uh, you know, if you watch in the MLB network and what you pick whatever show you want, you know, there's a commentator, uh, whether it's a baseball player or former baseball player or not, bashing umpires and you want to be like you guys work for the same company like paul o'neill exactly <laughs> i mean i'm watching mlb network i think it was yesterday and on mlb central they're bashing umpires and i'm like if you go down the hall you know i guess it's technically go from secaucus to mlb in new york you all get paid by the same company. This is ridiculous. Actually, they don't even they don't even know, they don't even have to go there. Um, they just have to go to the MLB Advanced Media Replay headquarters room, and they'll run into a few umpires. Exactly, and uh, I mean it's it's kind of like uh, not to get too far off topic. It's kind of like an insurance company, you know, re- refuse or the IRS refusing to go from one office down the hall to the other office to say, "Hey, you guys need this data, you know, because you're working on the same case that we are, and maybe we could all save ourselves a little bit of a headache if we all were on the same page." But that's just me. I have an IQ in double digits. Um, when you guys were doing this podcast, you know, I'm listening to you guys. T Mac was incredibly emotional. He was—I mean, he took this, in my opinion, like you know, a major personal attack, and his responses uh, were very much a reflection of that. And I'm not saying that you probably didn't take it as a personal attack as well, but your responses were much more analytical in 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 data and and trying to prove why. Uh, you know, these people were wrong, not only uh, in response to to that point, but it seems like uh, Mark came off kind of like a pass the buck kind of a thing, you know, uh, you know, and then Dylan came off as the I don't care. How would you respond to all of that in, you know, in a nutshell? Dylan represents the typical uh, MLB fan base at large. I don't care. Umpires are bad, and you're never going to convince me otherwise. I don't care how we replace them, but we have to get them out of here. That's the that's a typical representation of an MLB fan. I have no I have no problem. 
I do have a problem with the conduct, but I have absolutely no problem drawing that equivalency. Mark is Mark is an analytic, which is to say, like any other sabermetrician, he'll take the numbers and run with them. But if the numbers are wrong, it's MLB's fault because the numbers are wrong. And I agree. It is MLB's fault that the numbers are wrong. And if they're not doing a better job at uh, releasing, because one of the things that we ended up talking with Mark about at, toward the end of our show was, if the numbers are wrong, MLB, please release the, the data that shows it. And the problem is that MLB does release it, but they do it in a very backdoors way. It's very, very difficult to come across the corrected numbers. And that's the problem. You're watching a game, and if, 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 if 10,000 people are watching a game, for instance, they're going to they're gonna be exposed to the, the faulty strikes on box on the TV. Of those 10,000, I have to think it's going to be less than 10 that are actually going to, the next day, look back at the game that occurred the previous day and figure out where the errors were in MLB's strike zone. I, I, I have to think that very few people would be conscientious enough or interested enough to follow through with that. You know, I might actually be the only one. No, I, I'm on that board too. So, I mean, we're, 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 I don't even know, I don't want to categorize it because it will get a little weird, but you and I are the, you know, you more so because you're smarter and better looking, but. I mean, I, I, I totally get it. Now, is it as simple as saying that, you know, MLB is looking at this as just another way to quote unquote grow their sport, you know, to gain ratings? If it doesn't matter what the cost, you know, to use their own employees, their own, their own umpires as the bad guy, that does nothing but grow our sport and grow our bottom line. Is it that simple? Everyone needs a foil, and umpire scapegoating is so popular. Remember, this is sports. This is the last arena of life that uh, we don't have to be politically correct in. That's the idea, right? That's the, the that sports is the escape from the real world. The reason that people bash on Angel Hernandez so much, the biggest mistake that Angel Hernandez made, and it's not a mistake, it's a PR it's a PR negative, is filing the lawsuit against the league. The lawsuit might have 100% merit. He might be absolutely right. But the biggest PR negative on that is filing it in the first place because people escape the real world to go to sports. They escape the issues of racism, social, and injustice. They escape that stuff when they go to the sports. Angel just brought all of that to the sports realm. So people are going to go against him, number one, because they're racist. Number two, because they don't want to deal with it in this arena of activity. They go to sports to escape from the real world so they don't have to be responsible. How dare you invade my personal leisure time with this stuff? So... When it comes to the strike zone, it's a very similar idea. I'm not here to do fact-checking. 
I have, I'm here to be entertained. I don't care. I do not care is the common perception of how accurate things are. I do not care whether MLB is honest or not because I'm here to watch my team win. So if I can bash the umpire with no consequences and I can cyber bully with no consequences because I'm restricted from doing that in real life, then that's what, that's what fans are going to do because they have the opportunity to do it and it's an outlet for them to do that. Is it healthy? It is until someone gets hurt, which, you know, which if we follow the national association for sports officials with the umpire abuse, the actual umpires and ref the ref the soccer referees dying because they get attacked. Uh, but no one seems to really care because again, it's sports. Well, we care and we have statistics to back all that stuff up. Um, it's good that you brought up Angel Hernandez because that's where I'm going next. A couple of days ago, we had uh, situations between the Rangers and the Red Sox where Angel's crew was there. Um, Vic Carapazza was at first while Angel was behind the plate. Jordan Baker was at second. And I can't remember who was at third, but it, it, that person didn't seem to factor into the equation here. Under uh, Reynolds step. Okay. And Angel was the uh acting crew chief, correct? Yes. Okay. Oh, and Sean, just so you then so you know, Angel wears number five, Carapaza wears number nineteen, uh Baker wears seventy one, and Wendell Stat wears twenty one. So Sean likes to quiz me on umpire's sleeve numbers and constantly remind me that's why I am soon to be 36 and living with my mother. But that's beside the point. Um, the reason that we bring this up is we had a situation in the game where Angel called a strike on Andrew Benintendi. Uh, the, uh, the data showed it was a strike. It was a borderline strike, but it was a strike. Uh, Benintendi then grounds out. Uh, turns to Angel from beyond first base, not, you know, obviously directing it at him, but not in uh, a loud way, uh, says you blanking blank at him, and Carapaza tosses him for standing up for his, his crewmate. Uh, Alex Cora comes out to argue. He gets tossed too. Later in the game, uh, there is a play at second, where Jordan Baker uh, initially calls a runner safe and then almost instantaneously changes it to out, which was the correct call. Chris Woodward, the manager of the Rangers, wanted a hold on the play in order to check the replay. Uh, the, uh, the, the wait lasted significantly longer than the 30 seconds allotted. Angel Hernandez did, uh, denied Woodward's request to go to replay because it went beyond the 30 seconds. They argued, uh, and then Woodward got tossed. Um, in this scenario, what ended up happening was Angel Hernandez became the scapegoat again throughout social media. And I'm not ashamed to say that I was so incensed that evening. I spent probably about 30 minutes of my time muting anyone and everyone on Twitter who was saying anything negative about Angel Hernandez. Uh, it, it just, I couldn't stand it. Uh, I had reached a tipping point. Uh, and it wasn't just people who were reporting on it. It was people who were specifically going after him uh, without factual data 
and saying these terrible, terrible things. I was, I was, I, I can't even express the the emotion that I felt. But Gil, you did a fantastic write up on Close Call Sports about this. And the point that I want to raise here, because I thought about it more, and you're spot on, is that the umpire scapegoating, what's going on now, is institutional racism. Is that correct, Gil? With Angel, it is. Absolutely. Can Can you elaborate that a little bit? Okay. Well... The first thing that uh, comes to most people's minds when I bring that up is, oh, here we go again. Right. And I get it. I, I really do. Because, again, we're trying to go to sports to escape this stuff. And <laughs> Angel's just bringing it back in, right? Right. And, you know, this is Angel's livelihood. This is, this is not an escape for Angel Hernandez. This is his job. And if your employer is discriminating against you or you believe that that's happening, you have certain recourses and actions that you can take in response, one of which, after other things have been exhausted, is to file a civil lawsuit. That's where we are. We're with the pending lawsuit that Angels filed against the league. So when it comes out, the news story comes out that Angel Hernandez has filed a suit against MLB alleging racial discrimination, and he has since petitioned the court to be able to speak on more topics, not just racial, but ethnic, gender, etc. When he's when he's filed that against the league, a lot of people will see that and already, number one, upset that the sports realm is being invaded by this political correctness stuff. Number two, they just, like anything else, they don't see that there is an institutional racism. Institutional racism does not mean that we're actively discriminating. You know, we're consciously saying, hey, color of the skin, okay, we can't do that, or national origin, you can't do this, or whatever. That's not what it means at all. Institutional racism is simply simply says that there is there that there is some disparate measure of treatment based on some characteristic. And it's inst- it, it's a systemic thing. It's a historical thing that persists. It might not be a conscious thing, but effectively we're in a situation where we have a disparate treatment, a disparate representation issue. And I I don't think there's any denying if you go and look at the numbers and look at the demographic makeup of the umpiring staff, you cannot conclude that that represents society at large. There is no way you can conclude that it represents baseball at large, with the amount of people that play the game that come from Latin America, you cannot look at the umpire roster and conclude that that is representational of that demo. You you cannot conclude with the amount of, of, of players who are black, you cannot conclude that the umpiring staff is comprised of a representational constitution there. There is no way. That's what institutional racism looks like. Okay. So, number one, we have to get the term right because we say the term and people say, racist, I'm not a racist. That's not what it means. Right. And defining the term is a huge it – just it's a huge boulder to overcome here because people shut off before you even open the conversation simply because the label and 
and this and and this implication is so strong. So now that we have the terminology there, and whether you want to acknowledge that it's institutional racism or not, you have to acknowledge that the the percentage of the racial composition of the staff is interesting to say the least. Right. You have to acknowledge that that yeah, there there are no umpires in the majors who are women and there have never been. That's another that's another aspect of that, but you have to acknowledge that that is a factual statement. Mm-hmm. So we can get into that even more. But the point is that Angel is bringing up all of these things and that you know and and implicitly or explicitly that's one of the things that the lawsuit is bringing up. And so here's the problem with how it connects to society now as a whole. Anytime that they see Angel Hernandez, they're associating him with bringing up this unpleasant thing for them. This, it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. It's uncomfortable. And it's not something that people, when they turn to baseball, want to deal with. Baseball's supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be something fun, something, something that we electively do because it elicits some sort of a positive reaction. Angel's lawsuit and its and its greater implications are unpleasant. They're negative. Therefore, people are real quick to say Angel's negative. And any time Angel does anything, it's bad. Simply because the association of Angel bringing an unpleasant negative into the sport of baseball, which is supposed to be a net positive, is a discord. And because of that discord, we have to attribute a fault somewhere, a blame, and Angel Hernandez will get that blame every single time because he's the one who brought the suit. That's just how it, that's just how it looks. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like saying we have interference on the play. We got to get an out somewhere. Um, I'm going to go in a direction here that kind of jumps off from that into a pool that kind of begins with uh, umpire scapegoating. And this is this thought and this thought process is I'm saying this to both you and to Sean is very rough. This is not something that I have uh, gotten a chance to think a lot about or to do a lot of research on. And I consider this discussion that we're about to have here and that we've been having as kind of the the, the first step in it. Um, so I caution people to not formulate an opinion yet because we're trying to get to the bottom of this. But when I hear people talk not just about Angel Hernandez, but now about umpires in general, um, and it can go from baseball to other sports, it doesn't matter. We see the hate we see the vitriol on social media. We see it in, in so many different ways. We can cite chapter and verse how this happens. But hearing things like people say the term ump show or other derogatory statements uh, that are basically kind of like name calling for these types of situations, these get me so angered and so offended that for the first time today, I was like, wow, uh, 
I feel like those that terminology is the equivalent, or I shouldn't say the exact equivalent because it's not exact. It's not the same thing, but I draw connections. It's kind of like using a racial term to someone of a certain race or ethnicity. It's kind of like using the N-word, in my opinion. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I have to bring it up, but when someone basically just casts a, a blanket statement about umpires, you know, saying, uh, ump show, you know, whatever, like, you know, like that, that to me is like saying, well, they're all like that. And I'm sick of it. I, 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 I know that racism might not be the proper term here. It's more of a prejudice, uh, but in, in a very rough way, it's like people are racist against all umpires and we're being treated like second-class citizens and, and I'm sick of it. What, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to feel in these types of scenarios? People are upset with the stripes. They're not upset with the people, the person wearing the stripes because how do they know the person? They don't know the person wearing the stripes. Angel Hernandez is a very charitable person. Look into his history, read his biography. People don't do that. They don't know the person that they're going after. They're just mad at the uniform. And we see this stuff very, it's a very similar thing we see with the police. They're, they're upset with the uniform. They do not know the person that they're right. encountering. There's no way that they know. And if they do, then it's even worse. Right. But very rarely do they know the person. And that's, that's first and foremost is they're upset at the authority role. And if someone doesn't like one authority figure, they will transpose it. It's very easy to just take something and put it on someone else. I'll give you an example. If you're an umpire who's doing, who, who has, you know, there's a tough call and someone is going apoplectic about it, suddenly you're no longer just that umpire. If that person doesn't like Donald Trump, you're Donald Trump. Right. If that person doesn't like Barack Obama, you're Barack Obama. You're not you're, you know, you're not yourself out there. You right. represent a whole a whole category of people that someone might have a problem with. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the means, the ability, and it's not appropriate for them to work out that anger in the real world. So they bring it into the sports world because in sports, we still allow that to happen. And the scapegoating is a large outlet for that anger and that vitriol simply because very rarely do we have an acceptable outlet elsewhere in the world. Right. And people will take what they can get with that. So we see the most asinine comments, especially when people are embarrassed about screwing up themselves and they say, well, I can't acknowledge that I failed, so I have to blame someone else. For instance, when, when Chris Woodward said in his postgame, I, I didn't know I had to know that I had 30 seconds. I didn't know I had, you know. Are you kidding? You're a big league manager. It's your job to know this. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm sorry. Next next time I do a basketball game, I am going to stop the game and say, hold on, guys, guys, there are five seconds left on the shot clock. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the fact that you brought up the political angle, too, because politics involves competition. So we deal with that at OSIP as well. And it's the exact same thing. People just assume that they can use the terms Republican and Democrat, for example, as name calling. You know, I I get offended because people don't take the time to get to know the person as much as they can. You know, I mean, it's one thing because we have a you know the you know the talking heads on TV. We we not all of us have the ability to have a personal relationship with the president, let alone our senator or our representative, let alone our our mayor or our freeholder for crying out loud. You know, but um, we just group those people together and say, well, if you're not on my side, you're the enemy, and you and you're bad, and you're wrong, and. That, to me, is another offshoot of this, and it it upsets me. I find myself drawn to empathize with someone like a Donald Trump because of the hate that he gets. And this has nothing to do with the man, the personality, the politics, or anything like that. I... I, I'm sick because, okay, yeah, the guy says stupid things. I'm not going to deny any of that. But just the person in general, my heart breaks for them because of that. And it could be anybody. It could be Barack Obama. It could be any president. I'm just like, wow, this this person does not deserve this kind of treatment, behavior, judgment. Same thing with umpires. This, you know, we just hate the group of people. We hate the uniform. We hate the entity. And that's where I begin to draw those conclusions. It's that it's kind of similar to like, we just hate someone because of the color of their skin or because, go ahead. Well, I would, I would draw that back. I would walk it back a bit because with the national political level, especially, Mm -hmm. um, Here's what I would say. If, okay. if, 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 if you hated Barack Obama in 2007 or you hated Donald Trump in 2015 or 14 or whatever, uh, before you, you actually heard them and observed what they do, right? before you got to know them, that would be prejudicial and inappropriate. Okay. But if you formed an opinion after they've been saying what they've been saying and you feel like, and you, you've actually gone somewhere where you can get an educated opinion and you've done your research and you've done your homework. Then I feel that that's probably an, you can probably come up with an appropriate reaction to that. Okay. Now for umpires, for umpires though, when do we ever get to know the umpires? The, you, you know, a president. You hear what the president does every single day, so you can get you can get you know, not don't watch Fox, don't watch NBC, don't watch the don't go to C-SPAN. C-SPAN is is un unaltered, right? So if you watch Congress or you watch the president every day on C-SPAN, you can get to know things and come up with an educated opinion about that. Okay. You do not get that same luxury with umpires. Umpires don't put out statements 
occasionally a pool reporter comes in and after the game will ask a question. And umpires are very, uh, very towing the line on those. They the, the the statements are very brief and rather vague by necessity. Mm-hmm. So you don't really get a sense of the umpires. You don't get to know them like you would a politician. So getting an opinion on an umpire is extremely tough because they rarely are public enough to actually to act, to actually make make it such that you would have an opinion on that umpire. There there are exceptions. Uh, Jim Joyce, after Galarraga's game, after saving James Powers in Arizona on the CPR, those are exceptions. John Tumpain in Pittsburgh, right. things like that, where you do get glimpses of the umpire's personal stuff. Uh, but by and large, we, we do not get to know our umpires like we do our politicians. So there is a similarity on the idea that if someone hasn't made – many public appearances in in terms of making statements and whatnot, we probably can't form a substantive opinion. But if they have been in the national news for a year with repeated public comments and actions and things like that, we probably can form an educated opinion on them. But by design, umpires don't do that. So umpires are not don't qualify. I would not put umpires on the same plane as a politician for that reason that politicians are out there. Okay. Umpires are n- notoriously private. So let's go down that path real quick. We have private umpires. We have the scapegoating. We have the 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 people making the ridiculous comments. Is it okay for someone like me to be as perturbed as I am as a result of the, the hate that's out there for the uniform, regardless of who's wearing it. There's a societal problem with authority. And that's, that's, that's multi-generational and it, and it's been that way. And it's just in the modern, it's more in vogue to rebel against authority really since, I don't know, sixties. I'd say probably. About right. yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a real, there's a real popular movement that's the the, the sort of the counterculture that never really went away, and that's that's what we're living with here. And so, what you have is you have umpires that are tasked to enforce the rules of the game, and people will disagree with with that enforcement. They'll disagree with the call interpretation. They'll disagree with this that. And as we talk many times, as soon as they make it a personal thing about the umpire outside of their role as the enforcer, that's a problem. And there's absolutely an appropriate reaction to that from the umpire's perspective. If someone gets personal, that's that that deserves a response. What needs to be kept in perspective is that players do not know umpires at least not on a level where they can make an adequate judgment about the umpire as a person. So the only recourse in the sports world is to discipline through warnings, ejections, technical fouls on sportsmanlike conduct, penalties, game misconducts, etc. That's the only sports remedy for that misconduct. 
in the real world, we we have a greater luxury of just essentially ejecting them in an informal manner. But in sports, we're sort of stuck with them. Right. And that's where we have to go into the tool, ba- the tool bag. And number one, remember that they don't know us personally and they're just – they're just projecting their in, their own insecurities on us. And number two, if their conduct is 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 violation is violative of the rules, we have the ability to address that, and it would behoove us to do that. And it would make it easier for the officiating community as a whole if we did it. So, as we be kind of tried to put a a, a bow on this, as we try and bring this full circle, what is it? that I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. What is it that we can do with our responses to the people who have, you know, the greater luxury of affecting the way that people think, for example, on any sports network, when there is an analyst or any broadcast of a game when there's a broadcaster or an analyst who inappropriately you know begins to offer thoughts about the you know the officiating whether due to not knowing the rules or just making grand judgments that are inappropriate what should our response be and why don't these people take that responsibility more serious? Why is it that these people don't know that, you know, if you want to offer a, you know, a color commentary thought about whether or not the call was right or wrong, that's one thing, but then to just go, oh, he's just making this an ump show, he's a joke, this, you know, this, why is that allowed? And what should our recourse be as conscious members of the public? When I'm watching a game and a commentator comes up with something to criticize an umpire that's not fact-based or is erroneous in nature, I'll address it immediately if I'm watching the game with someone. Mm-hmm. I've My family will get fed up with me watching a game because there's a tendency to just go along with whatever the commentator says. Oh, the, oh, the umpire blew the call. Yeah, yeah, the umpire blew the call. And I'll say, hold on, hold on. Let's look at the facts of this. And, you know, there's, oh, Gil, we don't want to look at the fact. We're just, come on, don't, don't ruin the game. Let's just, no, no, no. You, you're, 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 you're impugning the character of someone, and I would like to address that. So if there is a call that is being where someone doesn't know something, I'll actually go back on the DVR, go back to the play, slow-mo, replay, whatever. Okay, here's the rule. This is what they're saying, but that's not correct. Here's what the rule is. Here's what the enforcement is. Here's what this umpire is doing. Here's what that umpire is doing. We don't want to hear about, look, if you're going to criticize, at least know what you're talking about. Right. And they'll get fed up with me doing that. And I get it. Again, you go to sports not to be responsible. You go to sports to just have fun and say whatever you want without any consequences. But there are consequences. 
And I think holding people to task for that. We say hold umpires accountable. We need to hold our fans and broadcasters accountable as well. Amen. And I think that it's very important if someone's going to come up with an irresponsible statement, and there's not much you can do, admittedly, if you're watching a game by yourself and, you, and the broadcaster says something stupid, there's really not much you can do in the immediate there. But if you're watching with a group of people who just go along with whatever incorrect statement, and you know it's incorrect and you know why it's incorrect and you can prove otherwise, do a fact check and 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 get things right. Set it right and really call out unacceptable behavior when you see it. The same way that you would during a game, you need to call out unacceptable behavior as you see it if you're watching in a group or if you're talking about something in a group or what have you. When when people bash Angel Hernandez, I get into the entire story and people get nauseous because of how much I'm talking about it. But at the same time, you have to because that's the only way that we're going to know the truth. Right. When, when, when people get, go on that electronic ball strike graphic and they want to make an assumption about it, that's patently false. Guess what? You just turned two seconds of game time. Talk about pace of play. You just turned two seconds of game time into a three minute analysis. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, if, if you weren't so irresponsible in slandering the character of someone, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But we need to correct the culture, and that's the way that we do it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the best way that I can think of it, too. And that's why I turn to people like you, Gil, for, for these thoughts because of what you bring to the table with that. Uh, Sean, thanks for everything that you uh, said on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the equivalent of uh, me being T-Mac and you being Gil on a normal episode of The Plate Meeting. So uh, imitation is the, the greatest form of flattery. Um, Gil, thanks so much for being with us. I, I appreciate your, your, your analysis and your wisdom more than you can possibly imagine. And I pray that more people will become conscious to this in whatever way that they can. I mean, we can't expect people to be perfect. We all change. We all are, you know, who we are. I'll be the first to admit that there was a time in my life when I didn't understand this and I was on the other side of this, um, you know, and, and now I've done a complete change of direction and it's thanks to people like you and what you do that that assist with that so from the bottom of my heart thank you for this and believe me i'm sure we'll be talking down the road absolutely thanks for having me it's our pleasure that about wraps up uh this episode of how you play the game my thanks to gil imber sean thank you very much for what you do thank you and um we'll be back with everybody in just a few short weeks with another episode we got some awesome things planned and we can't wait to share them with you um so i'll be uh, doing a lot more talking <laughs> finally <laughs> So until then, everybody, thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out on the social media platforms. Do what you can to stop the spread of this hate. And uh, until next time, everybody, please remember to treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. 
The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org.